Wet outside, huh? We uh, are doing a series that we have called The Holy Places. And uh, the reason for that is we kind of had an assumption that I think is pretty much true uh, for most of us. I know it is for my own life. And that is that we need to live better lives, holier lives in 2010 than we did in 2009. I've kind of mentioned that every week. I'm not completely happy with all my choices and everything that I might have done last year, and I'm sure you're not either. And that's why we're doing this series, because we want to focus on uh, how you and I can live better lives, can have, you know, quote, holier lives uh, for Jesus in this coming year. Now, let me qualify that just for a moment. You can only do that if you know Him. And if you don't know Him as your Savior, your very first step needs to be to admit that you've got a problem, and it's called sin, and that Jesus took care of that problem when He went to the cross and died on the cross for your sins, and that if you'll believe in Him and what He did for you on the cross, He'll give you everlasting life, put you in a relationship with Him to where you can live a life for Him. But if you don't know Him, that is your very first step. What we're doing in this series is taking something called the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we're using the various uh, pictures or elements of the tabernacle in the wilderness to kindly, hopefully, teach us some lessons about living uh, holier lives. We've got a, uh, an artist's depiction on the screen, and that white linen uh, wall kind of represents the holiness of God. Behind there, there were things taking place, such as sacrifices and other ministry, that you'll kind of hear about as I uh, get into the message here in just a few moments. Uh, God gave uh, very specific instructions about this because it was going to be a place that He was going to inhabit in the Old Testament. Our theme verse that we've been looking at in this series is this from Exodus. The Bible says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. I think almost every week I've mentioned this. God had a very specific pattern for the tabernacle in the wilderness. I am convinced that He has a pattern for your life and for my life, and we need to be about finding out what that is. He has a pattern that He wants us to live our lives by. In the Old Testament, He came into this sanctuary or tabernacle that He had them to build, and He dwelled there. That's what that glory cloud was, that pillar of light you saw in the other picture a moment ago. When you hit the New Testament, He decided to tabernacle among us in a new, greater way. God became man. Jesus Christ came to this earth, the God-man, and He lived here, and He tabernacled among us. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross, and He died for our sins. He took His life back up. A few days after that, He ascended, and He sat down at the right hand of God. So that's where He is today. The Bible tells us, praying for us, making intercession for us. But God still tabernacles in this world. And you may be asking yourself, how's that? Because you just said He ascended and He sat down at the right hand of God. Well, now God tabernacles inside the lives of believers. The moment you and I receive Christ as our Savior, God Himself comes to live in our lives. He tabernacles 
in us. He doesn't live in a church building. He lives in the lives of believers. He lives within us. And that's why it is strategic that you and I consider how we can live better lives. How this tabernacle that He lives in can better glorify Him, do the things that He wants us to do, avoid doing things He doesn't want us to do, and live holier lives for Him in this coming year. There's a uh, diagram that we're going to bring up. kind of gives you a, uh, a, a layout, a floor plan, more or less, of the tabernacle. You'll notice there was only one gate, one entrance in. That one gate, as we've already talked about this month, is a picture of Jesus Christ being the only way we can enter into the presence of God and have a relationship with Him. After you walk through the gate, there was an altar there. It was a place of sacrifice. And that altar gives us a picture of Jesus on the cross paying the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. You go to the very next piece of furniture in the tabernacle, and there's this basin there. It looked kind of like a brass sink or a bronze sink that had water in it. And as we've already looked at this month, that gives us a picture or a type of God's Word being like a mirror for us. When the high priest or the priest would look into that basin, they would see their own reflection and be reminded who they were before they went back to minister in the holy place. If you and I will spend time looking inside the Word of God, it will be like a mirror. It will show me my life as it is and the things that I need to correct, the things that I need to give to Him and ask Him to correct in my life. You go beyond the basin and step into what was called the holy place. And inside the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. Then there's this curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was at. And that's where the presence of God uh, lived in the tabernacle in the wilderness. But I want you to notice what's inside the holy place. You look to the right, and there's a table of bread, a table of sheep bread. Some translations call it the bread of presence. Adam Trippett brought a message about that for us a couple of weeks back. And what that represents is this. It represents the Word of God being what we need to feed upon. You'll hear more about that today in the message. And then on the other side, there's a lampstand. And that lampstand illuminated the inside of that dark place called the holy place. It is also a picture of the Word of God being like a light for our feet or a path to where it will illuminate our minds and help us to understand what God's will is. Today, we arrive at something called the altar of incense. The altar of incense. And the altar of incense is a picture of a place where acceptable prayer was made. The priest would go there and he would burn incense upon the altar. And as the incense went up before God, that was symbolic of the prayers that the priest was praying while he was there at this altar of incense. What we're talking about today is, is this, prayer for a new life. Prayer for a new life. If we want our lives to be different, if you want your life to be different, if you want your life to be better this year than last year, I'll tell you one thing that would help us if we will pray more and understand what real biblical prayer is really all about. And hopefully you'll understand more of that by the end of the service today. Look at some description that we're given of the uh, uh, altar of incense in Exodus chapter 30. God said, Make an altar of a kale wood for burning incense. It is to be square, 
a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns uh, of one piece with it overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar around the molding, two on opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Before we go to the next slide, back up just a second, guys. Before we go to the next slide, I want to point out something in that last slide, last verses. He said, make it of wood and overlay it with gold. Remember that. That'll be kind of huge a little bit later in the service as we go through this message. Uh, go to the next one, please. He says, put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the atonement cover that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. God is saying, come here, pray to me, and I will meet with you, talking to the priest. The Bible calls every believer a priest unto God. And we have the opportunity to meet with God as we read our Bibles and as we pray and carry on a relationship with him. He said, I will meet with you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Note that he said, do it in the morning, do it in the evening. I want it to be a regular thing. Look what else is said. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering. Do not pour <coughs> a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. The annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. Aaron had to go and put blood on this altar to make it sanctified before God. Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross. So you and I can actually do something called prayer. So you and I can have a relationship with Him. Today, the structure of the message is going to be a little bit different. I own point one, and I'll be bringing the first point of the message and sharing some steps with you. Hopefully, that will help you understand more about how to pray an acceptable prayer before God. Uh, John Hart, John and his family has been uh, uh, coming to our church for uh, quite a, a while now, several months, uh, on and off. Uh, John has written a book recently and had it published entitled Secrets to Meaningful Prayer. John is going to come and bring the second point of the message and close the message out for us. And by the way, he didn't ask me to do this. Uh, I just felt like we should because we need to learn more about prayer. We have these books available on a table out in the hallway. And if you would like one, you can purchase one. They're not for free. Uh, at least I can't tell you that. If you twist John's arm and he gives you one, that's one thing. But, uh, you know, they, they are, I've been reading through it some myself, and it's available out there for you uh, if you'd like to avail yourself to it at the end of the service. Between myself and John, 
Bill Compton, who's a member of our church, Bill helps oversee our uh, finances. And uh, Bill had been an administrator at a church in California before he retired and moved back home to come here, he and his wife Krista. Uh, a few months back, they had the burden to start a prayer time before our services upstairs. And he's going to come and share with you a little bit about that between myself and John. How can we pray prayers that we can really expect God to answer? That's what I want to talk to you about to begin with. We're going to look at some steps that we can find from the various things I've already kindly shown you in the tabernacle today as we went over the tabernacle in the wilderness. We're going to try and learn some steps toward praying prayers that God answers. Some steps toward praying prayers that God answers. I'm afraid, guys, sometimes we pray prayers that are not the kind of prayer that God wants to answer or he has a disposition to answer and, and I'll explain that more as we go. Uh, step number one is this. Step number one, if you want to pray acceptable prayer to God, is that you need to trust in Jesus as your Savior. That's pictured in the gate of the tabernacle being introduced to Jesus. That's pictured in the altar of sacrifice where it gives us a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. If you want to pray acceptable prayer to God, the only opportunity and chance you and I have to pray an acceptable prayer to God is to start out, first of all, by having faith in Jesus Christ. If I do not have faith in Jesus Christ, the only prayer that God's waiting for me to pray is this. God, I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I will receive Him in my life as my Savior. There's no need for me to start praying other stuff until, first of all, I know Christ as my Savior. I have no ground, and you have no ground to stand upon to talk to God unless we have the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. I cannot come to the throne room of God <clears throat> and knock on the door and say, God, this is Lynn Parsons, and because this is Lynn Parsons, you have to listen to what I want to tell you. You cannot go and knock on God's throne room and say your name and say, because of who I am, God, you have to listen to me. But thank God we can go into the throne room of God and knock on that door and say, God, I'm coming here through the name of Jesus, through the blood that was shed on the cross for my sins, and we can anticipate an audience with God when we understand, first of all, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That brings us into a relationship with God, births us into His family. Look how this happens. Hebrews talks about it. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Guys, sometimes we don't pray because we don't even have confidence to pray. We're scared to pray. We're afraid our lives are too screwed up to pray. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, here's how you have that confidence. By the blood of Jesus. I can have confidence to approach a holy God and call upon His name by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain. We'll say more about the curtain next week. And uh, you'll probably see something maybe dramatic happen with this next week. But there was a curtain that separated the priest from the presence of God. The only time he had the chance to go back there was on the Day of Atonement. But through Jesus Christ, Jesus has made a way through the curtain into the very presence of God for us. 
we can approach a holy God even though we're sinners because we approach God through Jesus and the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Instead of being so guilty that you don't even think you can approach God, once you receive Christ as your Savior, you need to understand something. Your sins are gone forever. And you with a clean conscience can approach God in prayer. Now here's our problem, guys. Our problem is most people stop there. Most people are introduced to Jesus. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for them. And then they stop right there. After all, I know I'm going to heaven. No, everything's okay between me and God. He's forgiven me of my sins. And they stop there. It's like stopping at the altar and never going further in the tabernacle to where the basin was at and allowing the Bible to clean you or where the bread table was at and allowing the Bible to feed you or where the candlestick was at and allowing the Bible to illuminate your mind. People are satisfied stopping right where they are all too often when they receive Christ as Savior. My argument is this, guys, and you can read it all through the Bible. That puts us in a beginning relationship with God. He wants us to go on to maturity. He wants us to grow in our Christian walk. How many of you would be tickled to death right now when we got through with our service, you got to go home and you had lunch, but it was the same thing your mama gave you as a baby? Now, for some of us, that would be embarrassing. Because you think it'd be awful embarrassing to go home and suck on a bottle. For some of you, it'd be a lot more embarrassing because there wasn't a bottle around and, you know, good old mama just took care of that. And I, you know, it'd be a little bit embarrassing for you now as an adult to go and have that type of meal. How many of you would even be pleased with the next level up? With that cereal, if you call it that. That's all stirred together and yucky. Or the next level up, the green slime in the bottle that we feed our kids, that you know, ground-up, slimy-looking green beans, spinach, whatever it was, that we feed our kids. In the first service, I looked across, and I saw Jessica, my oldest, and uh, Jared was around somewhere. I see Jared over there right, right now. And, uh, you know, Beth now, I have to apologize uh, too later. She's, uh, I think, staying with my mom uh, today at home when my mom had to move in with us for a little while because of some health issues. But I looked over at them, and I said, I am sorry I ever fed you that slop. You know, how many of you would want to eat that? Honestly, you want to go home today and get out the gerber's bottle, warm it a little bit in the microwave, take a spoon, and just eat that. You know, would you be satisfied with that? Now, some of you want to go up here to Poncho's. Some of you want to go to a steakhouse. You wouldn't be satisfied having stopped feeding on the stuff you fed on as a baby. You'd like to have some steak or some prime rib every now and then, wouldn't you? Every once in a while. Well, guess what, guys? The problem is this spiritually. Too many people receive Christ as their Savior, and they stop there and they're still sucking on a doggone bottle, and they're still baby Christians, and they have not moved on toward maturity 
to where they understand how it is to pray the way God wants them to pray or to live the way God wants them to live. Step number two is this. Step number two is the bronze basin. If we want to pray acceptable prayers to God, we need to read the Bible, look at it like a mirror, let it point out the things that are wrong in our lives, and we need to allow the Bible to clean our lives up. Because if we come to God with all kinds of junk in our lives, trying to ignore that we're being disobedient to Him, even though we know Christ as our Savior, we're living like we don't know Him as our Savior, how can we come to Him and expect Him to really want to have open ears to the prayers that we're praying? And a matter of fact, the Bible tells us this in Psalms. The Bible says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard wickedness or iniquity, some translations say, the Lord will not hear. The word regard in the Hebrew means this. It means to recognize it. In other words, you're not ignorant of the sin. You recognize the wickedness that's there. But it also means to cherish it. Instead of recognizing something's wrong and wanting to get it out of your life, you recognize that there's sin there, but you cherish it, and you're holding on to it, and you love it, and you hold it close to your life, and that's keeping God from wanting to answer your prayers because you won't be honest with Him and say, this is wrong, this is a sin. God, I repent of it. I'm going to turn it loose and turn toward you and run from it. Instead... We cherish it, and we try and hold on to it. And when we do that, that is going to block our prayers when we act like that, when we are unwilling to confess known sin. Step number three, as we look at the tabernacle, is this. Step number three is we need to read the Bible and allow it to feed us, that table of bread. If I'm going to pray an acceptable prayer to God, I need to understand what it is. I need to be able to understand what God's will is the kind of stuff He wants me to be praying about. That means I need to ask Him to speak to my heart and my life and guide me in my prayer life. What kinds of things is really God's will that He wants me to pray? Jesus said this when He was being tempted in the wilderness. He said that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If I want to learn more effectively how to pray, I need to be reading my Bible and find out what God says His will is. Step number four is this. I need to read the Bible, and I need to let the Bible illuminate my mind. That's pictured there in the candlestick. If I want to understand what God's will is and how to pray God's will, I need to be reading this Word. Look what Psalms tells us. We read this last week as we talked exclusively about the candlestick. But the Bible says this in Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives us insight. It gives us illumination. It gives us understanding to the will of God. It gives understanding to the simple. In other words, if we want to know what God's will is, guys, an avenue to doing that is spend time reading the Bible so we can begin to pray acceptable prayers that God is willing and wanting to answer. Step five is this then. Taking in consideration everything else I've said, 
trusting Christ as your Savior, reading the Bible and letting it clean your life up, reading the Bible and feeding upon the Bible, reading the Bible and allowing the Bible to illuminate your mind. Step number five to pray an acceptable prayer is pray what you know is God's will. That's what is pictured by the altar of incense. By the time someone gets to that altar... They've been reminded of who they are by looking in that brass laver. They understand that someone had to die in order for them to be in a relationship with God. There had to be a sacrifice. They've gone by this bread table that represents being fed on the things of God. This candlestick that represents spiritual illumination. Now they get to this place where prayers are offered and they ought to know how to pray something that is God's will. See, here's my argument. If we would do the same thing, if you and I would trust in Christ as our Savior, if we would allow the Bible to clean our lives, if we would allow the Bible to feed us, if we would allow the Bible to illuminate our minds, then when we get ready to pray, we should have a good concept of what God's will is, of what God wants us to be praying. But you know what a lot of people do, I think? A lot of people just pray selfish prayers. Selfish prayers. Look what James said about this. When you ask, you do not receive. Now, that makes me want to ask why. If I'm praying and I'm not receiving, why? And here he says this. Here's the reason why. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We're praying selfish prayers. Now, to illustrate this, now I'm not down on, I'm going to call out a make of automobile. I'm not down on it or anything. If you own one, don't get upset with me. I did this one time and I forgot, oh, one of our members owns one of those. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, so it's not anything against the car, but it depends on what our motives are. Let's say in your prayer life, you go to pray and you say, God, Give me a Rolls Royce. I think I hit one no one owns, right? Start saying Mercedes, and if I ask someone to own one of those, I'd be in trouble. God, give me a Rolls Royce. Now, he may or may not, and I think a lot of that depends on the motive. If you were to pray, God, give me a Rolls Royce, and your motive is this, you're going to take it out and pick up homeless people, poor people, people walking along the side of the road, let them ride in the nicest car they've ever been in, take them out and feed them and give them a meal and love on them, and use that maybe to bring them to church and try to introduce them to Jesus. You know what? God might give you a Rolls Royce. But if your motive is this, God, give me a Rolls Royce so I'll have this status symbol. So everybody will look at me and think, man, look at them. Look at what they're riding in. Look at what they're driving. If that is the motive in having that type of car and that type of prayer, God's probably not going to answer that prayer. And I'm just giving you that as an extreme illustration. If we pray prayers that ignore what the will of God is, then I don't think we ought to expect God to really be answering our prayer John Hart's going to say more about that probably in some detail uh, when he comes up about how prayer is relational based 
with God. Prayer is more, guys, than us thinking God is our piggy bank. Okay? And I'm afraid that's what a lot of Christians think. But just before he comes, I want to talk about the altar of incense, just give you two quick pictures of the altar of incense and what it represents. One is a pattern. A pattern. That's your next blank. A pattern. I read it earlier to you. I told you to remember it because it's kind of huge. It was made of wood and it was overlaid with gold. Here's what the Bible said. We read it just a little while ago. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. I'm sorry, this is John saying this, but we'll get to that other verse in a moment. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now think about what Jesus is saying there in that verse. The altar was made of wood and made of gold. The wood and the gold give us a picture of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. The wood gives us a picture of His humanity, and the gold gives us a picture of His Godhood, His deity. And this altar of incense made of both wood and gold also give us this picture. The only access I have into the presence of God is through Jesus. He is my altar of incense. He's my avenue of acceptable prayer to God. Through the ministry of Jesus Christ, His humanity and His deity that was nailed on a cross for my sins. He's the altar of incense. He's my access and your access to God. Now, that same Jesus said this about prayer. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. I looked it up in the Greek. Whatever means whatever. He goes on and he says, So that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. I looked it up in the Greek, and anything means anything. Our problem is we have a misunderstanding in what he really teaches here. Jesus did not give you a blank check and say, go pray for a Rolls Royce and expect to get it. He did not give you a blank check to pray for anything that you want to pray, and he has to do it. What Jesus says here is this, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. In the Jewish way of thought, in the Hebrew line of thought, you cannot know a person without knowing their name. Because their name and their mindset had to do with their character and who they were. So when Jesus tells us here to pray in anything that we ask according to His name, He's going to do it. It's not some magical formula to where we can manipulate God to do anything that He wants us to do. What Jesus is telling us is this. Pray what is according to my will. Pray what is according to my character. And when you pray that type of prayer, that's the type of prayer that I'll answer. And by the way, it, you, we, we wouldn't get it twisted around if we would pay attention to the middle of the verse to start with because he says, so that the Son may bring glory to who? The Father. It's not to bring glory to you. 
It is not to bring glory to me. What I ask in prayer needs to be through Jesus to bring glory to the Father. And if we would bear that in mind, it would help us pray some acceptable prayers. A practice is the second thing I want you to get. And uh, I'll be finished. And someone else is going to come and finish for us today. A practice. Look back in Exodus, and I read it just a few minutes ago. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar. Notice this. I kind of put it in bold and underlined it for you every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, which was in the evening. And then it says, So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. David said this in Psalm 141.2, May my prayer be set before you like incense. The practice that we're given here is this. The priest every morning would go in and burn the incense and offer prayer. The priest every evening would go in and burn the incense and offer prayer. My suggestion to you is this. Our lives would be a lot better our lives would be a lot holier type of life this coming year if we would bracket our days with having time to spend with God. With prayer in the morning and prayer in the evening. Now before you think that's some magical formula, <laughs> that if you just pray in the morning and pray in the evening, we're, we're, t we're told this by Paul in 1 Thessalonians. We're told to pray without ceasing, some translations say, or pray continually. That means all through our day, as we face situations and difficulties and problems in life, we need to be praying. That means all through the day, even if there's not a problem or difficulty, we just need to be talking to God because we're in this relationship with Him through Jesus. You understand your prayer life doesn't have to be God. There's something bad that's happened. John's going to point that out in a good way in just a moment. It needs to go deeper than that. Our lives can be holier places for God this coming year if we would spend more time in prayer. The high priest would go back and burn incense in an enclosed area. Do you know what would happen? The smell, the fragrance of the incense would get on his clothing to where he could smell it through the day. Now, let me prove to you that's what happens. You know, if, if any of you burn wood, I mean, you people used to burn wood stoves and things like that, or wood stoves in the home. Some people still do it, use it as supplemental wood down in the basement and things like that uh, and all. They might have a wood stove down there. Do you realize you cannot even open up your wood stove, put a stick of firewood in and close it without getting the smell of smoke on you? You didn't know that, did you? See, the rest of us knew it. We knew that you had a wood stove at home. This priest, when he would go back there and burn the incense, he couldn't do it without the fragrance and the aroma getting on his clothing. And all through the day, he could smell that aroma. Guys, you know what I want for my life and what I think God wants for my life and for your life? I would love to be able to smell the aroma 
of prayers offered to God all day long. From morning to evening, I love to have the aroma of prayer about my life. Bill Compton is going to come and he's going to share with us a few minutes about prayer, about some corporate prayer and about praying upstairs before our services. Thank you, Bill. Prayer is a powerful thing. And I'm not on. Now I am. Prayer is a powerful thing. There's uh, personal prayer, and then we have corporate prayer. Do you know, well, if you know your geography lessons, uh, you know, Korea used to be one nation, and then we had this little thing called the Korean War, and it's divided into north and south. Have you heard about the South Korean church? Any of you heard about the South Korean church? Not very many. Do you know it is the largest Christian church in the world? They have two to three hundred thousand, two to three hundred thousand members. And it is an amazing church. They're actually sending missionaries to America. Anyhow, uh, there was a pastor here in the United States, and he wanted to go to Korea and find out why the phenomenal growth of this church. And so he met with the pastor over there, and he says, well, meet me Sunday morning at 5.30. So they met Sunday morning, and the pastor says, we're going down to the boiler room. And he thought, the boiler room? So they went into this basement. It was a large building and a large room in the basement. They went in at 5.30 in the morning. There were over 5,000 people in that big room praying for the church. 5,000 people. That just blows my mind. You know, we can hardly get 10 people together to pray for our church. And they had 5,000 people praying for this church. And that's what caused the phenomenal growth of this church. And it is still growing. And, and it is, uh, it is a, a well-known thing around the world, the South Korean church. And you just picture that against what's going on in North Korea. Just a personal thing about prayer. About two years ago, uh, our friends, some friends, introduced us to a lady that we had never met before. And... Uh, she was really, really brave. The first thing she says, do you guys pray? And I said, well, yeah, we pray. And uh, she says, I mean, do you pray together as a husband and wife? And I said, well, we have our, we have our prayers. My wife prays and I pray. And sometimes we get together and pray. You know, we have a pretty good prayer life, I thought. But she says, I mean, do you pray together? And I had to say, not on a consistent basis. And she challenged us to do that. And so for the last two years, we have had a little better prayer life. Every night, and we got word that we turn all the televisions and everything off, you know, and we do this specific time. We get down on our knees together and pray to the Lord. And 
we're not we're not great holy people i mean we commit sins every day just like everybody else but you know men if you'd like to see your marriage better i would challenge you to get down and pray with your wife it would be amazing what would happen to your family Anyway, the Lord, the Lord, just like Lynn said, he, he doesn't take away all the problems because, you know, over the past few years, I mean, the Lord has tested us. Like Jesus told Peter, says the devil's going to sift you, and uh, we've had a little bit of that. But uh, the thing about prayer here at church, on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock upstairs, we meet to hold up the services to the Lord. We don't uh, do prayer requests or anything like that we just pray that God will meet us here and we lift up the services to him and and look forward to what he's going to do in these services and we have seen some some wonderful things happen when you see people get up and want to be baptized on the spur of the moment you know that is God speaking to people's hearts and that is our mission here in this church souls for the Lord and if you want to see this church grow, not from transfer people coming in from other churches, but souls for the Lord, meet us upstairs on Sunday morning and help us pray that into this church. Thank you. Morning. My job now is to maybe give you a little bit of practical application I'm a guy that speaks with a lot of word pictures also pace a lot so I gotta move the table when I get nervous so um, in the Old Testament like Lynn was talking about we see a very different picture of God what we see was a God who spoke in a booming voice we see him speak through the earthquake we see him speak through the burning bush we see him as a as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire we see him dwelling in the Holy of Holies. We see a big curtain, like Lynn was talking about, between the priest, even the priest, and the Holy of Holies. And he was only allowed to go in there once a year. And if he didn't do it right, if he, didn't have, if he had not cleansed himself and made the right offerings for the sins of the people, God, being holy, cannot be around sin. He cannot. He's totally holy. Therefore, he cannot even be around someone who is unholy. So if the priest had not cleansed himself, he would die when he went into the Holy of Holies. But you know what? <clears throat> then came Jesus. And Jesus changes all of that for us. We are living in a fantastic dispensation. In the Old Testament, God came upon people every now and then. He would speak through the prophets. He would speak through certain people. He would come upon King David at a certain time for a, little, for a season. But with us, when Jesus came, Jesus said, you don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. I'll be the perfect sacrifice. And if you'll believe in me, if, you'll, if you will accept me as the perfect sacrifice, I will cleanse all of your sins. So much so that God, who is still just as holy as he was in the Old Testament, can come live inside of us. We have God, the creator of the universe, living inside of us. That's pretty amazing. And that makes prayer very powerful. But now when I say to you prayer is powerful, 
I don't think that I would get very much... Um, there's no problem with that. People, if you ask them in a church setting, is, is there power in prayer? Everybody will say, yeah, there's power in prayer. When I say prayer is powerful, I've seen people healed. The Bible tells us of people raised from the dead. I've seen families brought back together. I've seen finances restored. I've seen children who are brought through horrific accidents and adults too. I've seen all kinds of things that have been working in our lives through the power of prayer. So when I say to you, there's power in prayer, everybody nods. We agree that there's power in prayer. But for the most part, a lot of you feel like there's power in prayer when Lynn prays. You feel like there's a whole lot of power when I pray. You, you'll agree with the fact that there's power in prayer if I'm praying. But I'm telling you that there's power in prayer when you pray. And that's when you guys go, I don't know. I don't feel like there's any power in my prayer. In my experience, and I've taught this a lot, obviously way before I wrote the book, I was teaching this in churches and in Sunday school classes and that kind of thing. And what I've found is that there's a lot of people in church who have been saved for a lot of years who still have no power in their prayer life. They still struggle with the Lord in that area because they don't feel like they're very connected. And, I, and, I, and so I begin to, if I'm going to help people, I need to figure out why that is. If I'm going to write a book to try to help anybody to, to get past that, I need to know what it is. So I begin to ask the Lord about that. Why is it that if everybody in here would nod your head and agree that there's power in prayer, and then I say there should be power in your life, is there? And you go, well, no, not really. What is it? What stops us from having that kind of of power in our own life. And I think that it's this. I think you guys have asked for so many things that you didn't get. You've prayed for so long for things that didn't happen. You've asked God for stuff that you didn't get. And you've just simply decided, you know what? He's going to do what He wants to anyway. So why ask? You've asked for so much for so long with so few results that you've just given up. Why? Why would we give up on God? Is there power in prayer or not? You can't change your mind at this point in the service. Is there power in prayer or not? If there is, then why aren't we praying? Because we've had so few results. And the key to that is, and this will be the first fill in the blank for me, and that is we go to God like He's a vending machine. I want you to think about this. You go to a vending machine, you take out your dollar, and you stick it in the machine getting ready to get a drink or a snack and it spits the dollar back out. So you take the dollar and you look at the machine and you look at the picture and you flip it over and you stick it back in and it spits it back out again. You take the dollar, you turn it around, you fold out all the corners and you stick it in the machine because your whole goal is to push the button and get what you want. And that's exactly what we do to God. We go to God as if He's a vending machine. We've got to make sure that we pray just right. Now, I've got to see, I've got to, uh, I've got to make it spiritual. So if I want uh, a Rolls Royce, then we'll say, well, God, I'll use it for you. I'll use it to witness to people. Uh, then we've got to say, we've got to end it in, in Jesus' name. And we've got to do this. So we try to make sure we've got this dollar bill just exactly right. Because what we ultimately want is we're not really worried about whether the prayer is of God and for God and for His glory. What we really want to do is make sure that we get the prayer right so that we can push the button and get what we want. 
Think about that. The God of the universe who sent His Son to die for you and we're using Him. We have reduced Him, in most cases, to a vending machine. We act as if God is waiting to serve us. Let's look at a verse and see if that's accurate. Look at Colossians 1.16. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. We were created with a purpose. And I can tell you that until you find out what your purpose and your meaning is in life, your life will be empty. Your life will be hollow. There's a lot of people with a lot of fame and a lot of money who are living empty, hollow lives because they have no meaning and no purpose. And then there's other people who don't have very much as far as this world's standards go, but they're happy and they're at peace. And the Bible says joy and peace and mercy that we, that we get from God because we have, we have a relationship with Him. But He was created, excuse me, we were created for Him, not Him being created for us. So we have that very backwards. Now, let's look at um, what God says about the relationship that He would like to have for us. If we can go to the next screen. God says in His Word that He wants to adopt us into His family. He desires a relationship with us. A relationship. Not something like a genie in a bottle where we hold the bottle and we rub it just right and we ask for stuff because that's what we want. A relationship. A relationship like you have with our loved ones like, we, like He wants to have as our, perfectly, as our perfect Heavenly Father. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. John 1.12 says, in the first part of this, is to them that believe on His name, to those of us that believe in Jesus, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. And if He desires to be our Father, should we not spend more time seeking His will? As a father, I think about this with my son, and I think about this in relationship to my father. My father had a lot of wisdom. He had done a lot of things. had been a lot of places. been in business for years before I was. He had a lot of wisdom. And I think, how much time and how much pain could I have saved myself if I would have just gone to my father and spent more time asking him his opinion on stuff instead of going to him just begging for more allowance? And I think about some of the things that I see my kids go through. And I realize that they, some of these things kids have to go through because they want to learn themselves. But how much, as parents, some of you are already nodding, how much pain and suffering and money could you save them if they would just come to you and take your advice as opposed to just coming to you and asking for more stuff? But that's what we do with God. We just go to God and we ask Him for more stuff. He desires to be your heavenly Father, not your sugar daddy. We spend so much time going to God and saying, God, I need this, and, and please bless my day, and help me with this sales call, and help me with that person at work that I don't like, and help me do this, and help my car start, and get me to work, and help me do this, and heal this person, and, and oh yeah, by the way, help the missionaries, because we throw that in because it makes us feel better. We, we've prayed the whole prayer, and we didn't, we didn't listen to God. All we did was ask Him for stuff. 
Give me this. Help me to heal this. Fix this. Do this. Give me this. So I began to think, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to pray without asking God for anything. I did this a long time ago. Uh, it still sticks with me, though, because I couldn't pray. When I, re- when I realized that I was using God as a vending machine, when I realized I was just sticking my prayers in and pushing a button trying to get God to give me what I wanted, and I began to try to pray without asking for stuff, I say, Lord, thank you for today. I really appreciate a good night's sleep. And I ask that you'll help me with my... Ooh, can't do that. Okay. Uh, so help me when I get to work today with... Ooh, can't do that either. Um, well, help me with my sales. No, I can't with my sales calls. Well, help me with that person at work. And I can't ask him that. Now, my entire prayer life was, was reduced down to thank you for another day. Because everything else after that was ask for this, ask for this, give me this, help me with that. And that shook me up. And I set out on a path to, to establish a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Because I did not want to be one of those who constantly ask. Uh, and I don't know if we have any of the candy people in here, but in my church when I grew up, we had the candy, the candy man. And all the kids would run to him because he had candy in his pocket. He'd give them a piece of candy or whatever. You know. I don't want to be like that to God. I don't want it to be when I start to pray and he sees my number come up on caller ID that he goes, <laughs> it's him again. I wonder what he wants this time. Because, because that's the only time we ever call is when we want something. The only time we ever talk to him is when we're in trouble. So, in the book, I try to have a lot of practical examples of how we can get past this mentality of only asking God for stuff, uh, for using Him like a vending machine. And one of the ways, one of the examples that I use was one of the ways that God taught me several years ago. My son and I used to race motorcycles. I retired last year, but he and I raced super bikes. Now, I've got a video that they're going to play, and I'm just going to talk while the videos play, and you can listen to me or watch the video or maybe do both if you can multitask but you guys can go ahead and start the video and um, this is the lesson that God told me when we would get to the track on Thursday I got to give you a little bit of background about this kind of racing this is not dirt bikes this is street bikes this is 184 miles an hour uh, dragging your knee and through the turns at 120 miles an hour and, and we did this for years at the national level traveled all over the United States we would get to the track on a Thursday morning. The bikes were already set up. The bikes were already done at 184 miles an hour. Even where the rivets are on the bodywork makes a big difference. Any kind of aerodynamic drag. So we, everything was ready when we got to the track. We rolled it out. We set up the pit. We had our notebooks from the year before, and we had we knew what gear ratios, what tire pressures, what tire compounds to use. We knew what suspension settings, geometry settings, all of this from the year before. So we weren't starting from scratch, we, we already had a good base to go from. We would then use that to practice all day Friday to try to gain a couple tenths of a second faster than we were the last time that we were there. So you understand that in professional racing, the, this, the difference between the guy that finishes first and the guy that finishes last is only seven or eight seconds, okay? In a two and a half mile course, there's only, there's only eight or nine seconds at the most difference between the first place and last place. So a, a one second is a big deal. And we would work all day to try to trim a tenth of a second. And we did this this weekend. In particular, the one that, that God taught me this, this lesson was at Virginia International Raceway. We had raced, or we had practiced all day on a Friday. 
We had changed suspension, we had changed gearing, we tried different tire compounds, we were on race fuel, we'd already mapped the bike, we changed geometry, we changed everything that we could change, trying different things to see what would work. And at the end of the day, I was three tenths, I think it was three tenths of a second faster than when I started out. Three tenths of a second. And I was frustrated because I had tried hard. I had rode the wheels off that bike that day. I, I had my, I, I was pushing the front because I was going into the turn so fast that I was literally pushing the front as I was going into the front. I was spinning the back tire up coming out because I was trying to get on the gas just as quick as I could out of the corner to get just a, if I could save a tenth of a second, a tenth of a second per corner, that's 1.4 seconds over the course of the, of the, of the track because there's 14 turns. Worked all day and I, and I worked hard. And it was frustrating because I had worked so hard and nothing really changed. And I went to supper that night. And we were out at supper and we met a friend of mine who, was a, who had already turned pro. And his name was Scott. And so I was talking to Scott and he said, hey, John, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing all right. And he said, how was your day? Because that's what racers do at the end of the day. What else are you going to talk about? And, and I said, uh, it's kind of frustrating. He said, why is it frustrating? I said, I worked all day. I got three tenths. He said, ooh. I said, yeah, I, you know, I just, I said, I get, I'm giving it everything I've got I'm pushing as hard as I can push I've tried I've tried all kinds of different lines into the corners and lines out of the corners I've tried different gearing I've tried different tire compounds and I've tried everything that I know to try and I'm not a rookie at this I mean I've been doing this for a while so we ate supper and and so he says well what are you doing here and what are you doing there And we begin to talk about racing and you asked my wife, we got to supper, and the last thing she wanted to talk about after being at the track all day was racing, but that's what, that's what we racers do. So we're sitting, at the t we're sitting at the table, and we're talking, and he says, well, how many downshifts are you hitting into one, and what's your brake marker, and, and what's your trajectory into one, what's your turn-in point, what's your acceleration mark, and blah, blah, blah. So we're going through all this technical stuff that we like to talk about, and he heard a couple things that didn't sound quite right to him, and he pulls out a paper plate, and he begins to to draw out a couple of the turns on the back of a paper plate. And he said, well, how are you doing this and how are you doing that? And he began to show me, well, this is how I do it. I just do it a little bit different. I know it sounds about the same, but it's a little bit different. And he showed me a little bit different line. Basically, in two turns, I was arcing, I was arcing one and squaring up three. He was squaring up one and arcing three, and it was just backwards. But basically, it's the same telemetry. It's just, it's a, there's a lot of geometry that goes into this. and It just didn't make that much difference to me. He said, but I think it may. You need to try it. I said, okay. I mean, what am I going to do, argue with the guy? He's a, he's a pro. I'm not yet at this point. So what was I going to do, argue with him or take his advice? So I folded up the paper plate and I put it in my pocket. That night I got to the trailer and I, thought, I started thinking, you know, I can go out here tomorrow and I can do the same thing, beat my head against the wall and try harder and do the same things that I did yesterday except just try them harder. And I'll probably end up having the same results. I might as well listen to what he had to say. So I pull out the paper plates and I studied them that night. There's, there's a bit of irony in that with all the money that we're spending racing and all the amount of money that we have in trailers and bikes and the amount of tire, tire money and fuel money and energy that I spent the day before. And I'm looking at paper plates. But I'm looking at paper plates and I decided I'm going to try what he said. The next morning I tried. By the end of the first practice session, I was two seconds faster. You say, okay, that's a neat story. What does that have to do with prayer? I didn't get it at first either until I was on my way home. And I was thinking about that. And I started thinking, I wasted my time. I was trying hard. 
during practice on Friday. I gave it everything I had. I would have been better off saving my tires and saving my fuel and saving my energy and just going to supper. And God said, it's just like that with me. And I went, huh? He said, it's just like that with me. I know you love me. And I know you're trying hard. And I know you're frustrated. And I love the fact that you're trying hard. But you just keep beating your head against the same wall, trying the same things with the same frustration because you're not spending any time asking me my input. You're not asking me to help you. You're not asking me for guidance. You're not asking me for anything. You're coming to me and saying, this is what I want to do. Please bless it. Here's my agenda. Please bless it. You're not coming to me and asking me what my agenda is. And I begin to understand. That's huge. And I realize I'm out of order. But what we need to be doing is going to God and seeking His face, not always seeking His hand. We need to be going to God and asking Him His input. We need to be going to God and asking Him what He wants us to do in our life instead of just going to Him and asking Him to fix our mess. If we can ever grasp that idea, it'll change our lives. The answer is not to simply try harder. Because we try harder. I know you guys try hard. You try hard, you fail, and then Satan just adds guilt on top of the fact that you're trying harder and nothing changes. At the end of the day, nothing's any different. But the answer is not to try harder. We should be investing our time building a relationship with God. A relationship, not a vending machine. We need a relationship with God. We need to be seeking His wisdom and His direction. One of my favorite verses... <laughs> It's gotten to be one of my favorite verses because I think it's funny. Uh, is Psalms 32, verses 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. So don't be like a horse or a mule which has no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and bridle or they won't come to you. God's telling you don't be a donkey. Okay? Listen to what he's saying. Now see, that to me is just funny. But the truth is, you've got, a, you've got a, a horse or a mule or a donkey. It's a magnificent creature. A lot of strength. A whole lot stronger than me. Can get a whole lot of work done. But the problem is, it's got a mind of its own. And when you're trying to plow a straight line in the field, and he's got a mind of his own, he's wanting to go over here, and then he sees something over here, and he's wanting to go over here, and he sees the female mule over here, or a donkey, or a horse, or whatever. We've got problems. So what we do is we put blinders on them so that they can only see what we want them to see. We put a bit in their mouth so that when we want them to turn left, we go, huh? And they go, okay, all right, all right, all right, I get it. God says, don't be like that. Because what, what we have in the Christian church is we have a whole lot of people who God is having to control you through circumstances. He's having to control you like he's got a bit in your mouth. He has to slam a door because you won't listen to him to not go through it. Matter of fact, you didn't even ask him if you should go through the door. You just saw the door and go, ooh, I'll go through the door. And he has to slam the door. He's having to use a bit in your mouth or, or circumstances and closed doors in your life to guide you through life because you won't take the time and stop and ask him what you, what you should do or what he would have you to do. And I look at that and I go, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a mule. I don't want God to have to have a bit in my mouth. I want to spend my time going to God and saying, God, you know what? I've got, I've got things that I need to get done, but your agenda is more important than my agenda. And you tell me what's important, and I'll do that. 
That's where I want to be with God. I want him, when a door opens up, I want, to ask, I want to stop and say, God, do you want me to go through that door? I don't want to just assume that the, since the door's open that I, I can go through it. If you found $1,000 outside in the, not outside in this parking lot because you bring it back inside. If you was out somewhere and you found $1,000 sitting on the pavement or you got a $1,000 check in the mail, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Ooh, I get a TV. <laughs> hey, I can fix the car. Hey, there's all kinds of things that come to mind when you get $1,000. But what didn't come to mind most likely was, God, you just gave me $1,000. What do you want me to do with that? Is there somebody that I'm supposed to help with that? And you know what? He might want you to have a TV. It's okay. But the question is, did you ask him? Or did you just assume that, hey, that's for me? And we spend our lives having to be, having to be led around like a, like a mule with a bit in our mouth because we're not asking God. We're not spending the time asking God what he would have us to do. We realize that nothing in our lives is as important as God. Now, you guys can all shake your head at that. We understand there is nothing in our lives as important as God. But we spend our time as if everything is more important than God. Because there's not a day that you guys, last week, there's not a day that you guys went without, unless you were fasting, there's not a day that you went without food last week. There's not a day during the work week that you probably didn't go to work. There, was, there wasn't a day that you skipped sleep. But there were days that you didn't have any, spend any time with God. So is sleep more important than God? No. Is work more important than God? No. Are we expected to work? Sure. Is it supposed to be more important than God? No. Is eating important? Sure. Is it supposed to be more important than God? No. My point is, you make time for what you want to make time for. And we're not making time for God. If we can begin to understand what I understood at the racetrack that day, and I begin to understand, it doesn't matter. I know everybody's only, we only got 24 hours. I've got a whole lot of things that I need to accomplish in that 24 hours. But I can waste a whole day beating my head against the wall just simply trying harder and accomplish nothing. So I've decided I'm going to spend my time with the Lord. I will let Him direct my paths. I will let Him guide my ways. I will let Him tell me what the agenda for the day is. And at the end of the day, if I still didn't get all of my stuff accomplished, at least I've been obedient to the Lord and I've had that relationship with Him. And I'm telling you, there's power and there's peace in that. And he said in Psalms 32, verse 8, that he would guide us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and I will watch over you. John 10, 27 says, My sheep know my voice. You'll be there in a minute. John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. But you know what? That doesn't happen the first day that the sheep is with the shepherd. So some of you are saying, well, I've never heard God's voice before. I'm amazed at how many people in, in crowds this size who would say, that's just a new idea. I've never heard the voice of God before. I, and I, have you ever listened? Have you ever stopped and listened? Because normally what we do is we say, God, I need this, I need this, and fix this, and help this, and heal this, and help mama, and, and do this, and help me at school, and I need to pass this test. Help our finances. Help. Thank you. Amen. And God's going, but, 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 oh, well, never mind, I'll try to catch you next time. Because we ask, 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 amen, we're done. Have you ever spent time stopping and listening to the voice of God? And people say, well, I, I don't know how to hear God. Well, sheep don't, know the, sheep don't know the shepherd's voice either the first day. Okay? It takes time 
for the sheep to learn the shepherd's voice. But when they do, they can follow him because they know his voice. And I've been in restaurants before where me and my wife were out with another couple and the kids were playing and we're talking. Both couples are talking and there's all kinds of noise in the restaurant and somebody says, Mama, and my wife goes and turns because she knows that's her daughter or she knows that's her son. And women in the crowd are going, yeah, I've done that. I've been, I've been in Chuck E. Cheese before where there's so much noise and chaos that you can't even hear yourself think. And you hear a kid say, Mama. And, the, and not every mama in there turns their head. It's the mama of that child that turns their head because they know that voice because they've got time invested in that child. We have to invest our time with God if we're going to hear His voice. We have to spend time with Him, not just doing all the talking, but we have to spend time with Him listening if we're going to learn His voice. But I'll tell you this. Let me leave you with this. It's worth the investment. If you guys will make the time to invest in Christ, I guarantee you it's worth the investment. If you will learn to hear His voice, He will give you a peace that passes understanding. He will guide you. And instead of always having to go to Him to bail you out of the problems that you're in, He can even help you stop from getting into some of those problems. But the relationship in and of itself will give you a peace that you won't have any other way than a relationship with Christ. I'm going to pray. Then Lynn's going to come up here to the front. Because the thing that you need to understand too, and Lynn's already brought this up, and I'll just reiterate, is that I'm not talking about a head knowledge of Christ. It's not enough to know who Jesus was. It's not enough to know that He died on the cross. Historically, we have more information historically that Jesus died on the cross than we have that, uh, that George Washington lived. Okay? It's not enough for you to know that he believed that he was a man or believed that he died for you. Okay? You have to accept him as your Savior. You have to ask him for that forgiveness before the relationship can start. I've been in many hospitals, thanks to racing. I've spent my time, my share of time in the, in the hospital, but no matter how much time I spent in the hospital, it didn't make me a doctor. And I don't care how much time you've spent in church without Christ. It doesn't give you a relationship. Coming to church, knowing Christ, knowing the history is not it. We need to ask Him to, give, to forgive us. And at that point, we can start a relationship. Some of you have had a relationship with Christ. You asked Him to come into your life years ago. Years ago. And you love Him. And you believe in Him. Never doubted Him. Never heard His voice. Today's your day. Today's the day to start that journey to learning the, the voice of the shepherd, the one who said, even though he's in heaven, that he wants to be your father. We've also got the other stations that, they've been, that we've been studying about over the last few weeks. If you want to go uh, to, the, to these different stations like communion and light of the world and prayer, then you can do that as well. If you want to talk to me or Lynn, we'll be up front. I'll pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this group of people, Lord, who love you. And I know that they love you because, Lord, they spent their Sunday morning in your house. They got up this morning on a cold, wet, rainy day and they loved you enough, Lord, to come into your house because you're more important to them than staying at home and being comfortable in their bed. I, we, we offer that up to you as an offering. Lord, and I ask if they care that much about you, will they take the next step and they start to establish a relationship with you that can change their lives forever. 
Lord, you are our reason for living and our hope in dying. You are our power and our wisdom and our strength and our knowledge. You are the very air that we breathe. God, help them to understand how to connect with you on a personal basis. In Jesus' name, amen.